0: Hey friends, you're listening to The Collective Podcast in partnership with Watermark Community Church. We're so glad you're here and we hope you enjoy today's episode as we highlight heroes of the faith. ladies. Hi, guys. It's Callie. It's your host today. And I've already been laughing. We're in the studio talking about something awesome today. And I'm here with one of my best friends. Guys, I would love to introduce you to the one, the only, the indelible Amy Bloom. Hey, Hey. (laughs) Amy's one of my best friends. We're in community doing life together. And everybody knows we've been studying heroes this season, Amy. And, you know, people just get really excited when you bestow on them this title Mm. of hero or heroine. And you are. Mm. And I know you love this. And so we're going to talk about it
1: today. Are you excited? can't wait. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: So Amy does a ton of things. I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. But Amy today is our hero of advocacy. She advocates for people like I have literally never seen in my life. I am so proud and honored to be her friend. And why don't you start by just telling us about you, telling us a little bit about your family, and then I'll kind of dive into why we have you here. Thank you. Well, I'm Callie's friend. That's right. That's all the intro (laughs) she needs. Let's move on.
1: Callie's (laughs) friend. I'm married to Brandon. We've been married for 19 years, which I, almost 19 years, 19 in July, which I cannot believe. Uh, I've got two kids, Griffin's in seventh grade, Lucy's in uh, fifth grade. I work at For the Nations Refugee Outreach, where I currently help with resettling Afghan refugees. Previously, I taught ESL. I've done several things, worn different hats, um, but that's what I do currently. And for fun, mm. I don't know. I just I hang out with my friends, and I love to travel, and I like to read. and You like recipes. I love you to love cook. Cooking. Oh my gosh, that's what I do for fun. Yeah. I love the smell of an onion in a skillet. It's <laughs>
0: Seriously, that's what I do for fun. That that's so awesome. Yeah, okay. That's why I am. That's a, that is something I know that rattles off your tongue really easily. But when someone hears a couple of words that you just said, they're going to be like, wait, girl, you what <laughs> with your time? So go back to a second to yeah. part of what you've dedicated your life to is you help resettle Afghan refugees. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I fell into this. I, I. Have been a part of this organization for the nation, for the nation's refugee outreach for um, coming up on eight years, which I can't believe. But what it has, what it has turned into currently, when Afghanistan fell um, back in August, the government did not have the instru- infrastructure in place to really be able to successfully resettle all of the people that they were bringing over. At the time, you know, the refugee resettlement program in the United States has been in effect since the late 1940s. It uh, was started after World War II. I didn't know it went back that far. That's cool. It was started um, originally for the Jews, for a safe place that we would be one of the countries of many around the world that would agree to bring in um, Jews to give them a safe place and all of these things. So it's been a bipartisan issue in our country for a really long time, which has been really beautiful. And depending on, you know, who has been in power at the time, the ceiling of how many refugees we might accept is going to look different depending on what party is in power. But it's something that everyone's always agreed upon. Um, And when Trump was in office, it was the first time that the refugee resettlement program began to be dismantled. And so all of our offices overseas, where we normally would do all of our screening, all of our vetting, which normally takes three to seven years, like when someone applies to become a refugee, or when someone applies to be a refugee in the United States, less than 1% of them are actually admitted. But that's done overseas. And so all of those offices were gone. And then a lot of the funding and the staffing of the agencies, the federally funded agencies in the United States had been um, cut. And so, their staff was really, really lean. So, that's what I mean when I say they didn't have the infrastructure. So, for the nations um, pivoted, you know, we were all watching in horror, you know, on the news of everything that was happening. And so, um, the American people, the American spirit, the church specifically just responded in an incredible way. And so, because of a lot of private donors, our agency, with the approval of the government, but not the financial help of the government, allowed us to participate in the resettling efforts. And so, it has been just, the most wild ride that I never saw coming, but it has been just the joy of my life. And so it's um, that's what I do with my time. I have, um, on a few occasions, been asked to go to different um, Air Force bases, which is where these. Since we didn't have the overseas office, overseas camps, we had refugees across the United States at Air Force bases, and so um, I was able to go to a few of those bases, bring some families back, help connect families. Basically, our heart was families who were already a part of our programs at For the Nations, who had been in our English classes, who we had been sharing the gospel with. We thought the best way for us to continue to show the gospel would be to help um, advocate and go get their families, because a lot of them had families that were either still stuck back in Afghanistan that we tried to help during those few days when there were flights still coming out, and then also get their families out of the camps, reunite them with families. So that's what, that's what we've been doing.
0: It's so beautiful to see how God had set you guys up by moving in Caitlin's heart and establishing you so that you could receive this. So if anybody has a question as to why we are calling you hero of advocacy, I mean, that's and we could lump Caitlin into that as well. And so many others I know, but I'm so glad that you're here talking about it. So when you hear yourself being given the title, I know it's weird, but it's kind of fun to put people in that weird position where it's like, hey, you are our hero of advocacy. I know it doesn't feel good. But what does that mean to you?
1: It doesn't feel good. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. To be honest with you, I don't like that.
0: You're welcome. Um,
1: because I don't think that anything I'm doing or or do or have done is heroic by any means. It just makes me, it makes me happy. If the idea of advocacy is something that my life is marked by, then I'm like, praise God, because I think that he has put certain things crafted them into my being that he's allowing me to utilize for his glory. And so if that's, if that's what people see, then great. But I don't, it's not me, it's the Lord. So I, it is the, I don't like that hero word.
0: You're just a mirror. You get to just bounce that glory back onto him. And you truly of all of my friends have been an advocate for justice of all kinds for as long as I've known you. And so I know from our friendship that it started way back early in your life. And so can you just share a little bit about where that kind of justice chip for your people came from?
1: I think advocacy is not just tied to justice, but I think it's really rooted a lot in compassion and empathy and ultimately in evangelism. Um, I think when I look back and see how God has worked to plant a passion in my heart for these things, it's kind of twofold. Um, When I was in the third grade, I had this teacher and her name was Alice Stickney and she led me to the Lord. She prayed with me to receive Christ. She was an incredible, incredible woman. But prior to being my teacher, she had been a missionary in Africa for 14 years. And the Lord really used her to plant a passion and an awareness in my heart for the global church and for the need for evangelism and just an excitement for spreading the gospel. And so because of her, um, I think that she just really opened my heart up to having a youth that was really marked by curiosity of wanting to know more. Like Cory Ten Boom was my hero. I dressed up like her for Halloween in fourth grade. You know, I loved reading stories about missionaries and Elizabeth
0: Elliot and Hudson Taylor and all of these people. So it while we're all putting small characters on black felt boards <laughs> 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 Jesus is the rock <laughs> he rolls. You're I learning about Cory Ten Boom and giving your life away. I did for the Jesus. felt boards too. Okay.
1: And I can I can sing that song all the way to the bank. But but yeah, I just, she inspired, she lit an inspiration to me. My dad was also pretty instrumental in that. He was a big supporter of Wycliffe Bible translators. And so I just have all these memories of going to Wycliffe. And I remember riding in a missionary airplane and doing these simulations and things where I just, it was so exciting to me, the idea of there's a whole world that God has created and this message is for all people. And yeah. so um, I spent a lot of the years in my youth going on, you know, mission trips, Um, just, I had a lot of opportunity for that, which I'm really grateful for. But it was during my formative years, so I think I got to see a lot of um, different socioeconomic groups and different religions, and um, and a lot of people that were dedicating their lives here and overseas to sharing the gospel with the ends of the earth. At the same time, I was I was the oldest <laughs> of four. I had three younger brothers, and you know, we grew up in a home with its own share of dysfunction, and um, I think. I took on a protector role in part due to my birth order and then just in part due to different dynamics and circumstances that were going on in my childhood. Then when I was 20, which I think 20 is such a, looking back, it's such a weird age. I felt so old, but now I know it was still in that formative stage. But my dad was diagnosed with cancer. um, And then within six months, he had passed away. And so my dad was really, he was really my person. And so that devastation just completely um, gutted me and was unlike anything I had ever experienced and then at the same time my mom after he passed was struggling with a really severe bout of depression um, to the point that she had to go away to a facility for a little while to get some help. I had you know two brothers that were still in high school. One, The baby was a freshman and so I think I just felt like everyone was reeling and I was reeling, too, but I somehow, along the line, received that message of like, well, somebody's got to look out for them and take care of them. And it feels like I'm a natural fit. I've kind of been doing that my whole life, but now I have to. And then, you know, I think i I also believed the message that, well, I've got to look out for myself because if my dad's dead, my mom's gone, you know, there's no physical person. I've got the Lord, and he is faithful. And still to this day, I'm like, man, he walked me through that. But, in terms of a physical person that I could see, that I could touch, I felt that kind of, you know, the onus was on me. Is that a word? Onus. Onus.
0: But I bet it's spelled onus.
1: I bet it's spelled onus. But I felt like that was on me. Yeah. And so now...
0: In a lot of ways, you didn't just feel it. It was. Like if it, it wasn't was. you... Yeah,
1: no, it was. It, it was. Been... But it, it was. And so I, I... Now, you know, 18 years later, and lots and lots of therapy that's been logged, I see that there was a lot of unhealth in that, a lot of... You know, we can talk about words like overfunctioning and mm-hmm. um, codependency, and all <laughs> sorts of beautiful things I've learned about. That's a whole nother podcast, but it also was the root that the Lord planted. That He's, that I'm seeing the fruit of as well. That without going through those things, and also without losing my dad, I mean, at, at 20 years old, it gave me an eternal perspective that I never would have gotten any other way. I I really don't. I really don't believe that. So I'm. I'm grateful, but it was, it was tough, but I think that's, um, that, well, that's and it's, why
0: it's beautiful as your friend to look back into. I've told you before, one of the saddest like, parts of our friendship is that I didn't get to meet your dad, mm-hmm. but I, I see like the echoes of him in every way that you function and in seeing how he has made you. And then truly seeing the foundation that he helped lay That who he was in your life, the stability he was in your life, the friend he was in your life, even in early age, I feel like you guys were friends faster than like me and my dad were friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sweet of the Lord looking back, knowing your time was cut so short, but then it just makes all the sense in the world to come in later and be your friend now and see this like just this tower of a woman and go, that's where that came from mm-hmm. and the spirit of god in you of course but like the, it's so cool to see how purposeful god was in setting up this heart that you've had because even before you got to for the nations you've always been itchy for yeah. I feel like we've had conversations like am i in the right place right. should i live here should right. i take my family and go somewhere else and right. so it's really cool to see god wrapping this full circle and bringing you to a place where you are the fact that trying to help tell others, Hey, the nations are here. Like they, we, they are in our backyard. They are 0.5 miles away. And so how did God, like, I know you said, we started kind of with, Hey, I work for, for the nations. How did you get there? Like, did God increase your heart for refugees first and you found for the nations or did you, did it happen the other way?
1: Something that's encouraging also to me, looking back that I think I hope would be encouraging to other people is my dad put a lot of efforts into building my awareness about global missions. He used to say, we had, it wasn't a joke. He was for real. You know, when I'm 60, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to retire. He did insurance. He's like, I'm retiring. I'm going to meet you on the mission field. Like we're going to do this. But I think it's the sweetest thing to see that some of the, some of the things we do and some of the seeds we plant, we might not see the fruit this side of heaven, but they're worth it. So I see that in him and it has inspired me because I see how the Lord has t- took his heart all those years ago um and that he's that he's really continued to water that and to watch it grow. So it inspires me in my parenting. So to your second question of what did you ask me how did I how did I get involved when my kids were in pre-K and first grade? I was feeling such a strong conviction that I I know came from the Lord of um, okay, well, we're telling we're telling our kids to love God and to love people, but when we look at our culture and when we looked at when I looked at our particular family schedule, I'm like, how? I'm saying this with my lips, but is our life actually reflective of that? You know, it's, if if someone was looking in, and then my kids are in, so if they if they're looking back on their life and they've got a mom saying, love God, love people, but I'm actually only taking you to t-ball and gymnastics and shuffling you around all the place, then how how are they ever going to learn that? And so right. the Lord really, really convicted me of that. So I just, I wanted to find a place that I could go with my kids to love people, to serve people, and also to make an effort. Their life is so homogenous. You mm-hmm. know, we live in this pretty much white culture in our in our area in our neighborhood and the schools that we were in where everyone was for the most part not everybody but for the most part everybody has the same skin tone everybody you know is the same socioeconomic group and it was really important to me that my kids and that was my childhood you know so i wanted my kids to have something different but i knew it was going to require a lot of effort on my part so i heard about for the nations um from Cameron and Caitlin Mullins are the founders of For the Nations. are an incredible people, incredible couple. I had heard about them. Um, we had mutual friends and um, s- some family members that we knew, and so I just reached out to them and asked if um, if we could get involved. They said yes, and so we started once a week when my kids were younger. We would go, and I just kept it on the calendar like an activity, and that was just one thing that we, you know, I was pretty strong about. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna miss this, and so they. They really spent all of their elementary years there, you know, on a weekly basis. And then in the summertime, we would go together as a family. They run summer camps. Um, And then as the kids got a little bit older and as their lives, you know, they were more hours at school and more hours with extracurricular activities at school, then at one point I remember Brandon being like, hey, you know, this it's awesome that you've done this with our kids. I love that they, they know they feel comfortable walking into a room full of people totally unlike them. They've made friends, they've loved, they've served, but this is your passion. So it's okay. Like they don't have to go all the time. Just (laughs) you go, you know, you've got time, you go. And so from that point, they still come a little bit when they can. COVID also made that kind of weird, but I just started spending more time, you know, volunteering in their ESL classes with the adults, which I really loved and, um, Making relationships with refugees that were my age, because for all those years we had I had been with the kids, which mm-hmm. I loved too, but the adults to me was just became even extra special. Um, and it just kind of it just kind of went from there.
0: I love that, and I think what's really important to note about that is I think if God had started off telling you like you're going to be paid very little and give your life full time away <laughs> to people that it's going to exhaust you. If he'd started with that, it would have been really hard to dive into that calling maybe, but like, I love that he started with, with just this whisper of show your children more Mm -hmm. and that, that faithfulness progressed into what it is today. Mm -hmm. And I know a little bit about your day to day, um, work with for the nations, Mm -hmm. but in a, in a way that can help us explain, tell me a little bit about, um, just kind of the heaviness that is the work that you're doing on a day to day basis, and how you avoid burning out.
1: There's definitely days that I feel burnt out, um, and I think when that happens, I um, it's been important for me just to kind of come back to some pillars of health that are important for me. Of you know, I sleep, I walk, I cook, I read my Bible, I listen to podcasts, I ask the Lord to renew my strength. And I have to have days where I'm by myself with, and I'm majorly extroverted, right. but I have to get by myself and have those days where it's like, you change from your pajamas to your pajamas. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> those kind of days. <laughs> but um, on the day to day, it just, every day is different, which is one of the things that I've loved and has made it really exhilarating, but the amount of trauma that refugees have gone through and the last six months have been heavily and primarily i've been working with afghans but you know their stories are they're not unique we work with refugees from all over the world they've all experienced trauma but not all of their stories were on the news you know for the awareness to be right that all of america would understand we were all watching right but they um you know a refugee is only here because they've gone through a very illegal process. They've gone through all sorts of vetting and they have literally had to leave because they are escaping persecution uh, of religion or um, war, just different different experiences. So they've all experienced just incredible circumstances that truly in our um, in our American minds, we really cannot comprehend and we cannot wrap our brains around them. The Afghans in particular, And everyone in particular, nobody wants to be here. They want to be in their own country. They want to be with their own family. They want to be in their own culture. Nobody, not one refugee that I have ever met was like, I want to come to America.
0: And I think that's huge for everybody listening to know, because I think we can live under the the false reality that Mm -hmm. like, oh, welcome to America. You're welcome for being able to be be living here. No one would choose, no refugee would choose that.
1: No, no one, no one chooses that. Many of the Afghans will tell you that, um, one in particular that we've gotten pretty close to that you've gotten close to as well, um, he will say that he woke up on August the 15th and his whole world was different, that he never one time ever had a desire to leave. He loved his job. He was a combat interpreter for the United States military. He he lived with his, you know, he has multiple brothers, multiple sisters. They all live in together in compounds. That's culturally how how it works there. But he woke up in his life, in his life change, and he had to make a decision. He had 24 hours to decide, am I going to leave? Am I going to take my wife and my kids? His wife didn't want to leave. She ended up coming. But it's just, um, it wasn't what they wanted. And so then they come, you know, the circumstance, I, I can't even, I can't even begin, honestly, Callie, to tell you all of the stories and all of the things, but they've been through, they've been through it. They, um, the Taliban, you know, were looking for them in the streets, calling their name. Um, he, this guy... He's been shot in the chest. He had to crouch down for 16 hours in a Humvee with a radio in one hand to Washington, D.C., a radio in one hand to the army on the ground with the Afghan army. And he had to translate what was going on between the two. And he said he was the only person that could translate in that situation. So for 16 hours, he had to stay crouching in a ball in the front of this Humvee. And when he was starting to be shot at and he was told by, I don't know, an army general, or I'm bad with the rankings but somebody was like get out get out he opens the door and his his feet are locked his legs are locked well now you know he has two torn acls um this guy he's got rheumatoid arthritis he's 33 years old and it is it's pretty severe case of it he had dental work. I'm mean, just beyond. So just the physical ailments that come with it, but also he's here. A few of his brothers are here and their families, which is awesome and a miracle. And it's been amazing that they're able to be that close to each other. But his mom is still left behind. His brother, one of his brothers, who also worked for the United States, is still in hiding. He has not come out of an apartment in Kabul since August. He's literally losing his mind. They've had. Family members and friends take their own lives because they're so hopeless and so depressed. They are literally facing starvation, you know, in Afghanistan. Their economy has collapsed. I mean, it's still we're hearing about Ukraine, and that is equally as devastating. But Afghanistan's still happening, right? And so, just because it's not in the news, just because it's not in the news anymore, doesn't mean it's not still happening. And it's actually getting worse. I mean, you know, if you've heard the reports, the girls can't go to school, and the girl—I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's terrible. Um, so they live in this in this influx where it's like, yes, they're grateful to be alive, but they're also talking to their family every day and there's nothing they can do. And their families are hopeless and they feel hopeless. So it it's heavy. It's really heavy. And it's hard. It's hard for our, us to wrap our minds around.
0: And God's called you right into the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And you've gone running, which I think is just one of my favorite things about you. But I think, so walking through this, this isn't stuff. I think it's, um, sometimes, and I don't want to be unkind to brothers and sisters, but I think it's easier for us to go, Oh yeah, Afghanistan, it's hard. I'm sure it's like hard, but when you hear those things, that's like, no, this is beyond what we can even comprehend someone walking through. And so being in the it might feel easier to just give money or what and not that any of those things are bad, but to actually be in the trenches with someone is a really specific calling and really beautiful what has that done with your faith has it increased your faith has it um challenged your faith i'm sure it's all of the above but how has it impacted your faith in the lord
1: i think it's provided me an opportunity to live out my faith the lord is literally literally bringing people that have never heard the gospel to our actual doorstep three miles from here i mean dfw is the number two city in the united states to receive refugees where they've been resettled you know, by the government. He's literally bringing the nations to our actual doorstep. And so to be able to participate in building his kingdom and to be able to be the first person to sit down with someone and share them the hope of Jesus. I mean, are you kidding? Like ugh, that chokes me up every time. What a gift. So for me, it's not, It's not heroic. It's not, I don't feel like it's running into the trenches. I feel like it's just responding to what the Lord's called us all to do. You know, it's, it's to go tell the world about the Lord, go share his hope, go share his faithfulness. Do we believe it's a way for me to live out my faith where I have to also ask myself and, and believe, and then allow that hope and belief to be transformed so that I can share that same hope and belief with them. Like, is the Lord really faithful? Is he really a way maker? Does he really bind up the brokenhearted? Does he really comfort those who mourn? Is he did he really come to seek and save the lost? Like all of these things, do I believe those things? And I do. And so if I believe those things, then it just is a natural, um, it's a natural compulsion of the Holy Spirit, I think, within believers to to go and to share those things and to be, you know, an advocate, not an advocate of justice, but an advocate of hope that Jesus is the hope of the world and you know, I tell I tell these people all the time. I'm like, listen, if you would have told me six months ago that I'd be sitting in this apartment in Garland, hanging out with you and your family, I wouldn't have believed it. And if they if you would have found out six months ago that you'd be hanging out here with me and my family, I mean, you wouldn't have believed it. But God, in His sovereignty, in His in His grace and His mercy, He sent you here, and I believe so that you'll know it, the hope of the world. And when someone's been raised in a different religion where they do not have they they cannot comprehend Christianity. That's not a one-time
0: conversation. That's what I was going to say.
1: You know, yeah. there's no way. There is no way that these people are going to ever convert and leave. I mean, for a Muslim to leave their faith, Callie, it it requires everything. It brings so much shame to the family. They are literally cut off. In Afghanistan, it's illegal. So if you, you know, if you proclaim Christ over there, they'll just, they'll take you out on the streets and kill you. So it's it's so, such a huge deal. So for them to believe it. Really believe it. I believe it's going to take people like me and people like you showing up every single day. Like, what can we do? Okay, we got to go to a doctor's appointment. We got to learn about rheumatoid arthritis. They don't know anything about nutrition. They don't know anything about taking care of themselves. Okay, you got to get a job. You got to pay your bills. We got to figure out how to make a budget for you. You have to have a car. So, all of these things, money is important. So, anybody out there that, you know, that the Lord has gifted you in that way, or not gifted you, if the Lord's been gracious to you in that way, of course, give your money. But beyond that, give your give your life, give your time, because that's what he's asked us to do, take up your cross. That makes me
0: think of Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And I think that to do that for someone takes time. Yeah. It absolutely. doesn't take this one time. And 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 we're not saying that every single person has to come and seek a job for the nations, but no. I do think what we're saying is you need to be willing to give your life away and and maybe taking stock. And that's kind of my last question for you, is to somebody who it feels overwhelming to serve people outside of their comfort zone, whether it be refugees or immigrants or they're being called to the homeless population or um, just people who are next door that look and act and live differently than you, but they don't know where to begin or they're like, man, we just don't have time. I don't have enough margin. How would you encourage them? I would encourage them to just ask themselves in a really
1: honest, vulnerable way. What is it that makes me feel like that's out of reach or what makes me feel like I don't have margin or it makes me feel overwhelmed by that. Here's what I would say to that. I would say that you have one life. The Lord's given us one opportunity to be here. And he calls us to steward our, not just our finances, but our lives, our time, our treasures, um, our gifts. And when you die, there is no U-Haul that follows you with all your stuff. There is no trophies that follow you up to heaven to show your accolades and what you've done. The only thing that goes with us is people, our spirit and the spirit of other people. And if that's true, and if we believe that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, then what are we doing? You know. And I think culturally, I think Satan uh, has lied to all of us to make us believe that being busy and the rat race and getting sucked into that is Somehow heroic, and that's not heroic it's actually um but are focused on ourselves, and that's what he wants because if we 're focused on ourselves, then how in the world will the nations ever hear that Jesus is the hope of the world? yeah, you know, and so um if you don't have margin, make margin, yeah, make margin, cut something, we can all cut something, and if you don't have time, make time i mean it's not it's not rocket science, and i'm not you don't have to spend thirty hours a week up there even ten hours I mean. And you don't have to be on staff even that where i'm like right just there's so many people volunteering to do this because it's not about a job or it's not about a you know a specific assignment it's about going out there getting out of your circle where everyone is the same where everybody already knows the lord they're already going to be with you in heaven they're already going to be there so why are we spending the majority of our time hanging out with, and encouraging one another, which is important. Let's encourage one another in our faith so that we can keep going. But let's encourage one another so that we can go out of our comfort zones and we can go find the people that have never heard the hope of the gospel. Right. That's why we're here. That's what is the hope of our souls. It's the anchors of our salvation. It's what we say we believe. So make time.
0: Exactly. And now more than ever. More and than I ever. think what I want you guys as listeners to hear is, it does not have to be for the nations. It no. does not have to be refugees. And I think I want to remind us, we've spent a lot of time going into and and weeping with those who weep and being. If you want to listen to our whole last season, it was all about obstacles of faithfulness. We know that there are people out there who are going through things that make this idea feel crazy. But I would also submit to you that when we take our eyes off ourselves, it is very difficult to languish in say, selfishness. And so- Man, I think it would just be, what is the Spirit saying? And if you're not a believer yet, like, man, I-, I will tell you the principles of the Bible will never return empty and void to you. If you give your life away, you're going to get it back, whether you trusted in Jesus or not. And so the challenge would just be, pick something. What is what is someone that you can serve? What is Who is someone today that whether you have a relationship with or not, you can share with them the hope of the world? Because the fact of the matter is Christendom is moving to a very, very quote irrelevant place in our culture. and now more than ever the person of Christ could become really, really beautiful to people mm-hmm. who never liked religion but need the hope of a Savior. Mm-hmm. And so Amy, you're you're doing that.
1: And ask the Lord to go before you. that's yeah. the thing. If it feels daunting like, oh, I don't I don't know where to go.
0: Well, ask the Lord. yeah, I'll show you.
1: <laughs> he will literally show you. I mean I feel like almost every day before I leave, every day when I drive to Garland, I turn on my praise music, I turn off my phone, and I pray. And I ask the Lord, like, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, take me, take me where you want to take me. Put people, whoever needs you, whoever needs the encouragement of your spirit, put them in my bath today, Lord. Every single time he answers that prayer, above and beyond what I could ever imagine, because it's his work, it's not mine, but he, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. He tells us that. He tells us his spirit is with us. He tells us his spirit, literally he ascended into heaven and said, I leave my spirit with you. Go take my name to the ends of the earth. That's what he commanded us to do. So if you put yourself in a humble place to ask him, Lord, bring somebody across my path. I mean, if we had more time, I could share stories that would, you've heard them, but where the Lord just, I'm like, only the Lord could orchestrate this. Only the Lord could do that.
0: And why are we and shocked? He will. And he will. And why are we shocked? It is crazy to think that when we ask, he will actually give us opportunities. He absolutely will. And I think will. maybe what some of us need to work through is the fear of asking mm-hmm. because it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But y'all, it's worth it. And it's when you put
1: your it. head on that pillow at night, it is the most comforting thing. It is the biggest high I know and the biggest privilege. Like what a privilege to be able to participate in building God's kingdom. What better way to spend your time and your life What I mean, we don't know how many days we've got. We might die like my dad at 55. I might get hit by a truck the minute I walk out of here. Who knows? And if that's true, man, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we actually doing?
0: You know? Amen. Amen. There is no better way to end. Amy, thank you for coming on our podcast. Thank you for having me. I love you so much. I love you too. You guys, I'm ready to run through a wall. That's all we have time for. We love you all. If you want to learn more about the collective, visit our website at watermark.org slash collective. Follow us on Instagram for what's coming up at watermark underscore collective. Y'all, share this with people that need to hear it and be encouraged to get their butt in gear. And if you have questions, you can always email us collective at watermark.org. You are loved, you are known, and you are seen by the only one whose opinion of you matters. And we will see you next time on the collective podcast.